0: Good morning, everyone. So in case you guys don't know who I am, my name is Matt Charette. I serve down in our student ministry. And honestly, what an awesome student ministry we have, right? (laughs) That, That they're able to put together something like this in really a couple of weeks And honestly, the music is amazing. So much talent down there. And it's just a great group of youth. So I really appreciate this opportunity to be able to just bring the message to you guys this morning. And it is is a message that really the first time I taught it to the youth, it really just hit me as something like, "This this is what I need to do on Sunday morning. So I hope that you hear the power of God through his scripture and his word here this morning. So without further ado, let's jump right in. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22 this morning. And really quickly, I know that you guys have like sermon notes. They're not really sermon notes. Those are your small group questions. So I don't have sermon notes. I just want to clarify that. Those will be really confusing. <laughs> All right. So the title of the message today is Destroying Idols in Our Life. And to do that, we need to be able to identify them. But we're also going to learn about the consequences of having idols in our life and how to overcome them. And we're going to to do that this morning through the story of Josiah. While you all navigate to 2 Kings chapter 22, I would like to provide just a little bit of context of where we're at kind of in the Bible timeline of things. And King Josiah's reign takes place 333 years after King David. That is a long time. And Israel has changed since then. See, after King David's son Solomon reigned, Israel broke into two nations. There was a northern nation of Israel. And that consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this country would eventually be captured, taken over, and by Jesus' time, it's known as Samaria. Then there's the southern kingdom of Judah. This consisted of the remaining two tribes, Judah, which was the descendants of David, and Benjamin. And it's, this is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in the kingdom of Judah, where King Josiah is going to reign from the city of Jerusalem. So, if you're all there, follow along with me as we read. (laughs) Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Hadiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, The king sent Shaphan, the son of Azalea, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone and repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and had delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah, And Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Haldah, the prophetess the wife of Shalem, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All of the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me, And have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands before my wrath, before my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Pray with me, please. Lord, we come to you this morning to, to thank you for the power of your word, the power that it has to guide, to teach, and to correct us. And Lord, as we go through this passage, as well as others, Lord, we pray that you would use that word to convict the hearts of those that are able to hear this message today, and to also teach them and guide them on the way of removing idols from their lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Josiah's grandfather was King Manasseh. He ruled in Judah for fifty-five years. But over this time, as God says, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And what really happened is his his father tore down idols to false gods. When Manasseh became king, he rebuilt these idols. And then he didn't stop there. He looked around at other nations. And he's like, well, they worship Baal and Asherah. I'm going to build altars to Baal and Asherah in Judah. So he did. He saw the Canaanites. Well, they have altars to Moloch. I'm going to build an altar to Moloch in Judah. So he did. And then he he offered his own son as a burnt offering to this false god. And then he got creative. He decided to go into the house of the Lord, and he built altars to the sun, the moon, the planets, the constellations. And really, this is just a part of how he led Judah astray. He, it got so bad that at one point in, in Manasseh's story, it describes him as leading Judah astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel got there. Consider that. After King Manasseh's reign, Josiah's father, Amon, became king. Not much needed to be said here other than like father, like son. Everything Manasseh did, Amon did the same. However, after being king for just two years, Amon's servants started to plot against him to kill him. And one night, when he's asleep in his bed at home, a few of his servants break into his house, and they assassinate Josiah's father. And that brings us to the first two verses of our reading this morning, and the introduction to the good king Josiah, who due to the tragedy that took place in his family, he becomes king at age eight. And he is raised by his mother, Jedida. Josiah inherited a kingdom that had fallen deep into idolatry. Several of these idols even had altars now built in the temple, where the people of Judah would go into the dwelling place of God Almighty, and they would worship and offer sacrifices to these idols. At the end of verse 2, though, here it says that Josiah did not turn to the right or to the left. See, even though these idols were all around him, he kept God first in his life. And this really brings us to the heart of the message this morning. How do we live in a culture that is filled with idol worship? And more importantly, how do we identify the idols that might exist in our own lives? And then how do we get rid of them? So, And really, the life of Josiah will help guide us through that. So first, I know that it can be difficult to relate to Old Testament idol worship, bowing down to stone and wood figures, right? Like, we don't quite relate to this. So let me provide you two definitions of what an idol is. So an idol can be a person, place, thing, or thought that has become a source that you turn to to meet your needs. Said another way, it is when a resource that God has provided to us becomes a source that we turn to in our lives in place of God. To find things like truth, hope, love, guidance, self-worth, security, or comfort. So armed with this definition, let's continue on with the passage here. So Josiah grows up and now he actually takes over managing the kingdom of Judah And at the age of 20, Josiah begins to do everything in his strength to remove the altars from the temple. And as he's grown up, he's been a faithful follower of God. He knows that these idols are a problem and that they need to be removed from the temple. And after six years of slow progress, he's done pretty well. Well enough that in verse 3 through 7, Josiah, who's now 26, is putting plans together to restore the work on the house of the Lord. He wants to restore the glory to the temple that Solomon built. He sends Shaphan to the temple to meet with the high priest, Elkiah to collect and count the money from the temple that is meant for repairs. And Shaphan, as directed, provides it to some trustworthy carpenters and masons to work on the structure of the temple. This is great. Walk into the temple and it appears like it is worshiping the Lord. However, Josiah wasn't completely successful. You see, in the next chapter, 23, he and the leaders of Judah make a covenant with God that they will keep him first in their lives going forward. Immediately after that, he has to ask them to remove the vessels of these altars from the temple. See, they were still there, they just weren't on display for everyone to see anymore. And similar to how Josiah had a temple to take care of, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, we do as well. Can you guys please turn with me to 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20? And it says here, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify your body. Glorify God in your body. Your body, my body, is a temple to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And we are to keep God as the only God in that temple. Now, Josiah was able to identify the idols in their culture. And if we're being honest, we can probably do this too. We can look around at the culture we live in, and we can see that there are a lot of idols in our world. And maybe to a lesser extent, we might be able to identify some of the idols that exist in our own life. But allow me here to lay out just a few modern-day idols that we have a tendency to worship. Number one is the idol of identity. This takes place when we take images from our current culture and use them to define who we are. This would include identifying who we are by our ethnicity, our race, our gender, our education, our political position, economic status, or social group. None of these things are bad. All of these things are resources that are God-given for us to be able to advance the kingdom of God. If you consider what these things are, these give us our characteristics that help us to relate to people. These might be the ideas that we grew up with that help us to relate to people and to be able to share the truths of God. These are good things. However, this crosses the line into idol worship when because of the color of our skin, we dismiss dislike, or hate someone because they don't share our skin color. This crosses the line into idol worship when, because of our gender, we treat those of the other gender as though they're inferior or superior. This crosses the line into idol worship when, because of the level of our education, we dismiss other people's ideas. Or, because of the room that we're in and the people around us, we refuse to share our own. This crosses the line into idol worship when whether, your neighbor is, when whether or not you are Republican or Democrat, you become angry at your neighbor because of what a few people have done in government. And lastly, it crosses the line into idol worship when because of who we are friends with or who someone else is friends with, it leads us to accept them or reject them. Number two, the idol of safety When we look to things or thoughts to provide love, control, or security, so God created us to subdue the earth, to give love and to receive love, and to find security in God. And to this day, we still have these desires. We still want control and love and security. But when we seek them outside of God and try to find them in the world, we might start looking to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent, to give us the kind of love that only God can provide. Or we can turn money into an idol of safety. See, God wants us to take all things to God. But when money is an idol, we'll take everything to God that we can't solve with our own bank account. Number three, the idol of self. When we give our thoughts, desires, or emotions more weight than God's word in our lives. Allow me to just read through a few of these here. When you hold others to a higher standard to yourself, you might be idolizing yourself. When faced with a decision, do we search our heart before the Bible? Do we crave flattery but become angry when we're corrected? Do we obsess over our outward beauty and vanity? Are there people in our life that we use and manipulate but also want their admiration? Is our prayer life focused on our wants and desires while rarely praying selflessly for others? See, if our view of ourselves, is of being more valuable, more important, or just more than those around us, we're no longer worshiping one true God. We're worshiping an idol of our own image. Number four, the idol of comfort. When something other than God in our life becomes the thing we turn to to find rest. So oftentimes we can identify this idol by reviewing how we respond to interruptions when we're doing something we like. So that might be watching TV, watching a movie, reading a book, playing video games, browsing social media. Do you, when you're interrupted, do you show that you're irritated, that you're angry? Do you make sure that they know that they bothered you? Another way that we can review this one in our own hearts is the time spent in God's Word. Do we spend time in God's Word each day, or are we often too tired? And too busy to open up that book. All right. So then I have one more idol. And this one honestly just never quite fit into my list as just an idol. And this is cell phones. Now, they're an object. They can be an idol in our life, right? And here's an example. If your cell phone to you is like a little child's teddy bear or blanket... And when you forget it somewhere, you're filled with fear and stress and you can't think about anything else until you get it back into your possession, your phone might be an idol. (laughs) But cell phones have also become a staple in our lives. They're very powerful. They allow us to have the word of God on us all of the time. We also can learn things from our cell phone, anywhere, new skills. We can learn how to take on a project we probably never should have started. (laughs) But with that said, it's... And, well, to add one more to that, it also gives us a way to communicate with friends and loved ones that can be halfway around the world. So cell phones have also fundamentally changed our lives, though, from the way that children grow up And the way that we parent, the way that we work, and the way that we interact with one another. And it has also fundamentally changed the way we worship the idols of our heart. See, if we're not careful to keep God first in our lives, this very powerful resource can very easily become the physical altar that we go to to sacrifice our time and to give worship to our idols. See, when idolatry exists in our lives, we have turned our back on God and his word. If we seek after truth, hope, love, guidance, self-worth, security, and comfort from an idol, we lose all of them. So, this is why God makes it clear in his second of the Ten Commandments, found starting in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. That it is a sin to have idols in your life. God says this You shall not make for yourself carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love. To thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It isn't because he's afraid of losing you to a false God that we have this commandment. If you're a Christian here this morning, you know he can't. It's impossible. You've already been forgiven, you're saved, you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This commandment is to keep us from losing ourselves in this world. So there's also a consequence to idolatry. If you guys could please turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. Verse 3 and 4. And God says here, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. God is talking to the prophet Ezekiel and says, Should I even let these people with idols in their heart consult me? Should I allow them? Should I allow someone that worships a false god to ask me for guidance, assistance, or hope? Then in verse 4, he says, I will answer them, but it's going to be according to the idols they worship. There is no way we can get in to fully what that means to our prayer life this morning. But let me kind of summarize this way. If idols have ears but do not hear, if they have eyes but do not see, and they do not make a sound, like it says in Psalm 115, then we are probably not getting a response. All right, as we continue on now with Josiah in 2 Kings 22, let's begin to look at how we go about destroying the idols that we have in our life. So the first thing is that we need to spend time daily in God's word. So look with me again at verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. God's word had lost its importance in the lives of the people of Judah as they continued on in their idolatry. God was no longer the priority in the temple of idols and eventually God's word was lost from them completely. When we worship idols, we're turning our back on God and the Word of God. We cannot have two gods in our life. Only one God's Word can have authority over us. And if and if we have made our own God or are worshiping ourselves as God, then God's Word is no longer the authority in our life. And our worship of the one true God is just for show. In verse 10 and 11, Shaphan reads the book of of the law before Josiah, and it convicts Josiah, and he responds to God's word with sorrow and repentance. See, the word of God is powerful. A verse many of you are familiar with is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If we want to have hope of destroying idols in our life, we have to prioritize being in God's word every day. Without being in God's word each day, it's a slippery slope where we slowly begin to lose the word of God in our lives. The less we read it, the less important it becomes until eventually it's lost any priority at all. Once that happens, we forget the truth that God shares with us about who he is and who we are in him and what he's done for us. And when we lose sight of those, well, we try to find answers in idols. So the second thing we need to do is we need to keep prayer a priority. In verse 12 through 20 now, Josiah is convicted by the word of God and he seeks counsel from God by sending Hilkiah, Shaphan, and others to the prophetess of God, Huldah. When God's word convicts us, of our idols, we need to repent of them and then seek after his wisdom on what he would have us do to remove the idols from our heart. Okay, so then third and lastly, we need to immediately respond to the conviction and repentance and completely remove the idols from our heart. Now, I know that sounds like, great, what does that mean? Yeah, how do we do that? I can offer you some Fun little word plays here, right? If your idol is yourself, then serve others. If your idol is money, well, then be more generous. Those words are meaningless. I have no power. My words have no power or authority over you or your heart or your relationship with God. So how do we actually remove idols from our heart? The only way we can truly do this is if we do the first two steps honestly. If God's word is a priority in our life, and we treat his word with authority in our life, it convicts us. When we approach God in prayer humbly in repentance of our idols, God will give us the strength needed to fully remove the idol from our life. By restoring in us the understanding of who we are to him. That is the only true way to get rid of idols. They have to be replaced by who God tells us we are. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and close us here in prayer. Lord, it's only through your strength that we can remove idols from our lives. Please remind us who you say that we are. Lord, in your word, you tell us that we are created in your image. We're created all equal in your sight. Lord, we are forgiven, we are saved, we are redeemed, and we are restored as a child of God according to you, and that is how you see us, Lord. So Lord, I, I pray that you take this word, this message here this morning, and that, that you're just able to work with that and work that into the hearts of those that are able to hear it here, and Lord, that you're able to just do a great work with this. All right, thank you for this this opportunity. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're here this morning and you have not put your trust in Jesus, then like the prophetess told Josiah, there is a coming judgment day where you will have to answer for your sins to a holy God. Or there's another option. If you remember back to the beginning of this message when I was talking about Josiah's grandfather Manasseh, the king that brought all the idols into Judah, sacrificed his own son? Well, that's not the end of his story. See, due to his sin, God sent Assyria to capture him and take him prisoner. And while he was a prisoner there, he humbly approached God, repented of his sins, and God forgave him, restored him. See, no matter what you've done in your life, you have the same option. If you're willing to humble yourself before Jesus, ask him to forgive you of your sins, he will forgive you of your sins, and he will redeem you as a child of God. As the band plays here, this song of imitation, if you're convicted to be a follower of God here this morning, I ask you that during the song or after the service that you seek out Mr. Oman or Pastor Chad or myself, And we'd love to pray with you and talk to you about that.